Gareth Nixon has written a series of thoughts specially for this programme. Today she talks about little children. The other day, in the course of my Bible reading, I came across the well-known passage in St Matthew's Gospel about children. Jesus called a little child and had him stand among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I'd read it many times, of course, but this time it seemed to stand out. What exactly did Christ mean by it? Always before, it's made me remember the rather sickly illustration in the Bible I had as a child of a blonde, blue-eyed Jesus sitting on a rock in a field of daisies surrounded by very clean, neat children of various races gazing adoringly up at him. Verses like this one seem to engender in us a picture of children as sweet and innocent beings, which, as anyone who, like me, has talked for 40 years knows, is far from the case. In fact, if you want to learn about man's inhumanity to man, or even about nature red in tooth and claw, you've only got to take playground duty on a bad day when something dark and wicked seems to stalk among the children on the playing fields. Perhaps Jesus meant that you have to become like very small preschool children before the corruption sets in. But then I think of my friend's two-year-old grandchild, one much given to temper tantrums, being carried against her will up to bed, squirming and kicking in her mother's arms and shrieking, I hate you! I hate you! Now, much as I'd sometimes like to have a temper tantrum when things don't go my way and to lie on the floor screaming... I know it isn't the behaviour for an adult to copy. So I made myself sit down and think the verses through. In what ways are we to become like little children? It occurred to me that children, unless they come from extremely dysfunctional families, usually trust the adults who look after them to do their best for them. Tiny ones run to mummy to kiss it better. Older ones share their problems and their triumphs. Children find it easy to say sorry. Are we to come to God our Father just like this, absolutely sure of his love for us, his forgiveness, and of his desire to provide whatever is best for us? Is simple trust the key to the kingdom of heaven? That's hard for us adults who've learnt that life can be an unfair and painful business. We want answers to fundamental questions like why do bad things happen to good people? We want to understand the mysteries of grace and salvation. And of course, our adult intellect should wrestle with such questions in the light of what the Bible and commentaries on, us, on it tell us. But to some problems, like the problem of pain, we'll find no easy answers. When Job, in the midst of appalling suffering, sought answers from God, he received none. Instead, God revealed himself to Job in all his great creative power and majesty, more or less saying, if I have power like this, don't you think you should trust me to know what I'm doing? A child trusts like this. A child accepts that there are some things it will only understand when it's older, and some loads that are simply too heavy for it until it's bigger and stronger. Should we become like children in this? accepting that there are things of the spirit that our finite minds will never grasp 
until Christ comes again in glory and all will be made plain. As St Paul puts it, now we see as if through a clouded glass. Then, and only then, will we see clearly. I remembered too a child's capacity for simple joy. Watch a child's face as it eats a favourite food, or unwraps a present, or sees something amazing in the natural world. A child can lose itself in the joy of the moment without allowing it to be clouded by thoughts that it won't last. And a child knows how to say thank you with spontaneous and rapturous hugs and kisses. Have we adults lost the capacity for unalloyed joy, and with it the desire to thank the God who is the ultimate provider of all pleasures? Finally, I remembered a story my friend Pat told me. Pat taught in primary schools for many years and, even after retirement, returned to the classroom as a supply teacher. She told me that one of her great delights was in storytelling, in watching the children's faces as the plot unfolded. One spring term years ago, she prepared her class of six-year-olds for the story of Easter. Over the weeks, she told them about Jesus and about his healing love. She described how the religious leaders of his day wanted him out of the way. She told them in broad terms what crucifixion meant. Finally, on the last day of term, they sat in a circle at her feet as she described Jesus' last meal with his friends, the agony in the garden, the mockings and the beatings. She built up to her conclusion, and then they crucified him. The buggers, one little boy gasped and then clapped his hand over his mouth in horror. And this, finally, is what we adults need to recapture. A childlike involvement in all the old, too familiar stories about our Lord, so that we feel afresh their wonder and their horror. Then, perhaps, our response will be as simple and as natural as a child's, and we'll find, or rediscover, the joy of being a subject in his heavenly kingdom. So John Timpson considers what he's learned as a foster carer, along with his wife, Alex. David, one of our foster children, arrived with his brother Stephen on the day before we were due to leave for a fortnight in Portugal. Getting extra seats on the plane wasn't a problem, so by the time David, aged seven, went back to school, our family knew him quite well. Within a week, Alex went to see the head teacher to ask why David hadn't been included in the after-school club. There's no point, came the answer. He's from one of the worst streets in town. Nothing will ever become of David. David stayed after school the following week. At the end of term, Alex moved him to a different school. And now, 27 years later, he runs his own business. Alex a trained nursery nurse, was working as a nanny when we first met. And when our youngest child, Edward, went to school, she wanted to work with children and saw an advert for foster carers. With Alex's qualifications and having three children of our own, we thought it would be an easy task. Our first foster children, Simon and Sean, were pretty straightforward. Apart from teaching our children some new words, and my embarrassing moment with Simon in Silvio's, the local baker's, when he pointed at a large woman at the counter, saying loudly, Look, John, that woman's got big busters. The next two, Malvin and Lorraine, were more testing. 
One day Mulvin found a mallet and smashed 110 panes of glass in my greenhouse. And whenever Lorraine played with my daughter's doll's house, she tipped everything out on the floor, explaining, My mum's got a knout on. Among our 90 foster children, some particularly stick in the memory, like the especially difficult boy we took skiing. When we put him in a class on the first day, his behaviour was so bad, the instructor gave up on him within half an hour. There was the girl who, on our garden open day, drove round on a quad bike with Henry, our younger adopted son, throwing pine cones at the visitors. Sadly, one foster child killed our cat. Fostering isn't for the faint-hearted. Alex could cope with most things, but she was near breaking point when our adopted 14-year-old son Ollie took one of our cars, drove off in the middle of the night and was missing for four days. It got worse a week later when a friend upset Alex by saying, Let Ollie come to me for a week. I'll soon sort him out. Then we had our light bulb moment. The next week, Alex went to a social services training day. The speaker, Dan Hughes, talked about attachment. I suppose, he said, you all ban the television, have a naughty chair and send them to bed early. You got it wrong. Try to understand why they behave the way they do. He explained how behaviour is determined by our attachments with others, particularly in the early years. Children who lack love, attention and cuddles often grow up lacking trust in other people and have little confidence in themselves. Their challenging behaviour is a sign of insecurity. They need love, but they find it hard to accept. That phrase will always stick in my mind. Try to understand why they behave the way they do. Too many people with great potential are written off because they're misunderstood. Looked after children, who are the ones most likely to have attachment problems, are more likely to be excluded from school, do badly in exams and go to prison. About 25 years ago, I was in our local garage filling up with petrol and buying chocolates for three foster children. Grandchildren? asked the woman behind the counter. No, they're just staying with us for a bit. We are foster carers. That's nice, she replied. I always wanted to do that, but never got round to it. I'm pleased Alex got round to being a foster carer and showed me how she got a real buzz out of helping others make the most of their lives. She never saw anyone as a lost cause, always had faith in their potential and filled their lives with hope. Christ's light for you in the night time of your 
Shadow was Minister of Pitlochry Church of Scotland for 10 years until she retired last Easter. Today, she has a thought for us about giving. The reporter raced down the, the highway in his brand new BMW, driving nearly 20 miles over the legal limit. He flew round the corner and slammed his foot down on the brakes. The car had barely come to a stop before the reporter had jumped out of his seat and had made a dive behind a line of police cars that surrounded a beautiful home. What did I miss, he asked. Has anything happened yet? Do you think he's going to shoot her? What do you want to say on record? Come on, just say something. One line. He begged on and on with his arm outstretched, holding the tape recorder firmly in his hand. The policemen and women shook their heads in annoyance. And in those moments when the police had taken their eye off the subject because they were distracted, they discovered that the suspect had got into a four-wheel drive just outside the house. And before they could react, the suspect sped off, leaving only one single reminder of his crime behind. In his frantic quest to escape, he'd run into the reporter's brand new BMW. And while the collision did not seem to harm the four-wheel drive, it had written off the reporter's BMW. And then something incredible happened. From a nearby home, an older gentleman emerged in his doorway and he was out ready to walk his dog. He walked towards the reporter who was still standing in a trance, staring at his beloved car. And when the man was within a few yards, he stopped and he said those incredible words, those incredibly annoying words. Having car problems, are we? You might say that, the reporter replied with an equal amount of disbelief and frustration in his voice. And then the man did something that no one saw coming. He reached into his rain jacket, he pulled out a set of keys and he threw them to the reporter with these words, take mine. And he motioned towards his driveway where the reporter saw a beautiful and brand new Lexus staring back at him. The reporter didn't know what to do. His initial responses were not surprising at all. What? Are you crazy? Is this some kind of setup, some kind of joke or something? Do you think this is funny? The man just shook his head back and forth, dismissing the question. He said simply, take it, it's yours. And with that, he turned and he began walking away. But the reporter, still not sure what to do, asked the question that each of us would ask in those situations. Why? He shouted. Why? And when the man heard the question, he paused for just a moment and he turned round and he said just three words, three words that changed the reporter's life. Pay it forward. It's an odd story, certainly. And if you watch films at all, you might recognise it as a scene from a movie called Pay It Forward. And the story continues with the reporter asking questions of the man, which he initially refused to answer. But eventually he does tell his story. You see, just a month before, the man's daughter had had an asthma attack 
in the middle of the night. And he'd taken her to the hospital, but there were no nurses and doctors available. They were all so busy dealing with all the other things that were going on round about. And as she sat wheezing, literally gasping for breath, he could find no one to help her. In fact, it seemed like the only person who even noticed the girl was this guy that was sitting across from her. And the father disliked him immediately. He had a gunshot wound. He was covered in tattoos. He was swearing left, right and centre. Finally, a nurse and a doctor came to take this young man away. And then it happened. He looked at the girl and he did an incredible thing. He said, no, take the girl first. And before the doctor and the nurse could resist, the man began screaming at them to take the girl. And a moment later, they gave in. And the man's daughter received the medical attention she needed. Now the father was obviously very grateful and he tracked the man down later in the night to ask him how he could repay him. And the young man simply replied, pay it forward. The reporter could not believe his ears when he heard the story. And sensing a front page headline, he tracked down the young man to hear his story. And he soon found out that the young man was now serving time in prison for drug dealing. He told the reporter about how he'd been chased by the law before, but he'd been saved by a 60-year-old homeless woman who lived out of her car. She'd helped him in a time of need. And when he asked her what she wanted in return, how she should be repaid, she had said, pay it forward. And of course... The reporter used all his resources to track down this homeless woman. And once he found her, she told him about the daughter who had forgiven her. For you see, the woman had been a lifetime alcoholic. Her addiction had caused her to do some horrible things, including being a bad mother to her only child. But one day she told the reporter her daughter found her and said, Mom, I love you. And those were words that she thought she would never hear. And they changed her life. And when she asked her daughter why she deserved such an undeserved gift and how she could ever repair, the daughter responded, pay it forward. And finally, the reporter thought, I now have come to the beginning of the story. I just have to talk with the daughter and write the story. And my name is made. But when he found the daughter, she told him that she was not the beginning of the story of pay it forward, but rather it was her 11-year-old son. He'd come up with the idea for a school social studies project. His assignment had been to change the world. And incredibly enough, when he told his classmates his idea to do three amazing acts of love for three different people and have them pay the love forward rather than paying back. His classmates had laughed at him. In fact, they'd called him a fool. They'd called him a fool for believing that love could change the world. They called him a fool for believing that justice and caring for people were more important than power and prestige and money. Unfortunately, This is how we have often thought about stewardship, trying to pay God back as if we could, because that payment is so great we simply cannot make it. 
And more importantly, it's a payment that God does not ask for. Instead, God calls us to pay it forward. Pay God's love forward in a world that really needs to know about Jesus Christ. We've been called to pay it forward, pay God's love forward with our words, with our time, with our energy, and yes, even with our money. Pay it forward as a people of God set free by the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pay it forward. Giving begins with God, but it shouldn't stop there. For when we are asked, who will we serve? We should be proud to say, as for me and our house, we are going to serve the Lord. Alan Sorensen is a regular contributor to Pause for Thought on Radio 2. Alan has given us permission to broadcast some of his God spots, and today he has one on guidance. Okay, we've got two choices. Either God is interested in our lives, or he isn't. If he is, then he must have an opinion on what's best for us. The problem is, how do we find that out? Whenever we've got some big decision to make, some choice, we want to know the right thing to do. And it's not often that God sends lightning bolts, personal letters, angels or a voice out of nowhere. So, we frantically read the Bible, pray, ask him for some kind of a hint, nudge, even a funny-shaped cloud in the sky would do, Lord! Don't we? But sometimes God's guidance is just like getting the wife a birthday present. The more you love her, the longer you're with her, the more you instinctively know what she wants. Predictable blessings to you. Doodaloo the new. Shine on you. The Lord be gracious to you, turn to you, give you peace. The Lord bless and keep you, may his face shine on you. The Lord be gracious to you, turn to you. Gracious to you, turn to you.